Good morning. I just want to say thank you, by the way. Um, throughout the fall, my wife had a surgery and had um, numerous weeks of recovery, and um, our church rallied around us in just incredible ways. Not only did you provide meals, and many of you prayed, but, but uh, and Sherry, I don't know where Sherry is, but thank you, Sherry, for organizing all this, but different ladies in the church took turns to come in and sit with my daughter, Judy, so Claudia could be resting and I could be at work. And uh, in fact, while we were going through this, I was talking to somebody and they said, oh man, what, could, like, what can I do to help? And you know, do you need, you know, that? And I said, honestly, like, my church has it taken care of. And when I described to them that every day for a month, from eight to four, whatever it was, that somebody was coming in to sit with my daughter, here's their response. Man, where is this church? Because it just kind of blew them away that a church would care that much for somebody in their congregation. So uh, just thank you. I haven't had a chance to thank you publicly. Thank you so much for walking that journey with us and supporting us in that ways. Um, it was just, uh, it, meant, it meant a great deal um, to, to Claudia, to myself, and, and uh, to Judy, by the way. And she loved it. We had a little, on the other side of that, we had went through a draw. You know, she's so used to somebody coming to the house every day. Uh, <clears throat> but thank you. Uh, let's pray. Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you for the fellowship that we can have as, as a church family, that we can come alongside and grieve with those that grieve and, and rejoice with those that rejoice, and that whatever happens in our life, God, we have the consistency of knowing that you are always here for us, and you've given us a, a church family that is here for us as well. And thank you for the comfort, both of those, bring to so many of us. Um, I pray for those that are listening this morning or listening um, later that are thinking, oh, like I don't have the comfort of those two things. Um, God, I pray for them that you would stir in their hearts a desire to know you and be connected with this, this church family um, as they walk through their, their journey of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, I almost had a whole other sermon come on during the, during the prayer. Like, oh, I'll just stick with this for a while. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, that's not what we have planned. Um, so I want to ask you some crazy philosophical questions. Um, have you ever wondered what the Christian life was all about? Honestly, have you ever wondered why be a Christian? Like, is it just fire insurance? You know, I mean, uh, why, why didn't God create a system where right before we leave this earth, he comes to us and says, hey, do you want to come to know me so you can make sure you get to heaven? Like, you know, why, why do it before then? You know, why not just, I've left this earth and I've gone on to heaven and all's good. Um, and I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Uh, but, you know, like, why did Jesus say to his disciples when he was talking about how to pray, say to them, part of the prayer is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, why, when Jesus left this earth, did he challenge the disciples to go and do what I did? And, and why was Jesus able to say when he was praying to the Father near the end of his life in John 17, Father, I've completed the work you've given me to do? This morning, I want us to think about the why of our faith. Because, um, and by the way, I'm I'm going to say a few quotes that, that I'm going to tell you, hey, if you want to post these on Facebook or Instagram, these are really good quotes to post, you know, so get your phones ready. Um, 
but uh, at least I think they're good. You might be like, God, that one wasn't very good. Um, and feel free to say, hey, could you say that again? Because I'm posting it. Sometimes Tim, I mean, a lot of times Tim says great things, and I start to post it, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I can't remember all that he said. And I want to just say, hey, can you repeat that last one? Um, but I want to think about the why of our faith, because here's the thing, if this is one of those. If the why of our faith doesn't shape the what of our lives, then why have faith? If the why of our faith doesn't shape the what of our lives, then why have faith? I almost wondered if I should say, then you have no faith. I certainly faith, faith in God. Simon Sinek has a book, one of my favorite books called Start With Why. And if you've read that, you know, you know what it's about. And he talks about how the difference between organizations and businesses that, that push the what and those that push the why. And what he says is that the what only works unless somebody else has another what. And then you have to resort to manipulation, right? Sales, gimmicks, reduce the price. Um, but if people buy into the why that you do what you do, then the, the what is kind of immaterial. Like they will stay with the what. And so he challenges business and, and organizations. Um, he also, by the way, has, if you go on his website, has done some stuff with using this context with relationships and families. Um, but he says in the book over and over again, the research suggests that people that believe in the why are more likely to buy your product, follow your calls, or give to your organization. When I first read it, I realized that our what at the factory was all about poverty, right? That was our what. We want to help people that find themselves in poverty. But our why is that everyone's journey matters. That's why we care about poverty. So if poverty was erased, we wouldn't have to cease to exist because we would say, okay, what other thing in people's lives do we need to care about to to show them that their journey matters? It's the same thing in our Christian life. Understanding the why behind um, the what of our worship makes all the difference in the world, right? It takes it from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. So I don't know if you've thought about the words that you just sang, but they're, they're pretty powerful. You know, that is the what, all those words that we're saying, but how does it translate into us understanding in our heart the why behind the words? Otherwise, here's what happens. The what becomes the ends, not the means. And I think if, if we'd be honest, if I'd be honest, there are times in my relationship with God and my Christian life where I focused way too much on the what, because the what became the end. And, and depending on your, your background, you know, depending on how much you might lean towards that perspective, oh, I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do that, and I get so busy doing those things that I forget about the why behind it. And if, if we're not if we don't ask these questions about why have faith, then the what that we do will become the end. Um, for example, we say in our church that we, the mission statement exists. On our website, it says this, to create fully devoted followers of Christ. And that's our what. We create fully devoted followers of Christ. But why? Now, I'm not saying that we don't have a why. I'm just kind of giving you an example of that. In fact, what I like to do is list, and because people will be listening later, if you say those, I'm going to repeat it to say it so we can hear it um, and, uh, and the podcast, but what are some things that we do as Christians that we're taught to do in our faith? What are some things that we do as Christians? The what? Somebody? Help people. Read your Bible. Pray. How many of you as kids sing that song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow? Anybody raise your hand if you ever sing that? 
Just me? Okay, a few of you. You know, you start out really small, right? And you grow, grow, grow. And then I forget the second verse, but it says you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. Right? And nobody wanted to shrink, you know? But yeah, read your Bible, pray. What else? Heal the sick. Somebody said that, correct? What else? Say it again. Give money to people in need. Good. Go to church. Praise the Lord. Somebody said, right? Sometimes I'm a ventriloquist. I hear it, but I don't know where it came from. All right, yeah, we praise the Lord. What else? Say it again. Have faith. Is that what you said? Yeah. Give money, right? These are all the things that we're told to do. Now, here's a trick question. That way it'll make it easier on you. Which one of those are wrong? None of them, right? These are all things that we need to do. These are all things, the, the what's that we do in our faith. But we want to remember that if we're just doing them because they're the what. So I read my Bible and I pray. And, and we forget the true purpose behind the why then they become king, right? They become most important. And then we start to use them to manipulate God, right? Because then we create our own why. So we say this, God, I read my Bible every day this week. Why did you give me a flat tire? God, I gave money. I gave more money this year than I did last year. I'm increasing my tithe by 1% every year for the last five years. So why did you have my roof cave in? Right? We do that, whether we mean to or not. We kind of negotiate with God when we think that the what is more important than the why. Because what happens then is we create our own why. So what I'd like to do is read. Uh, we're going to be turning to Isaiah 58 if you want to go ahead and get there. There are Bibles in your pews. Um, if you look in the very beginning, if, if you're, you're new here, it, it, there's a table of contents. The book is Isaiah. And uh, it's one of, the, one of the major prophets. And I'm going to read this in the message translation, Isaiah 58, because I like, I like what it says here. This is what God is saying to the nation of Israel. He says, if you do the what, this is what I would do for you. Ready for this? Do this, and lights will turn on. And your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The glory of God will secure your passage. Then you will pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help, and I'll say, here I am. Before Alexa and Siri, God was. Right? You anybody have Alexa or have Siri, and you say, hey, Siri? Right? Or you say, Alexa, and immediately there's a response. The other day, Siri says, I must have said, hey, Siri, in a conversation, and then a couple seconds later, she says, did you summon me? Like, ooh, look at that, you know. Yes, I summoned you. But before that, God says, if you do this, then you will call out for help, and I'll immediately answer you. And I'll say, here I am. Your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. 
You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, if you read that, you think, hey, I'll sign up. That's the why I can get behind, right? A God that promises to do, to, to do this if the nation of Israel does something. So what do you think that the do, the do this is? What do you think God's telling them to do? Uh, don't, read in the, don't read in Isaiah 58 yet. Let's just, let's just guess. God says, do this, and I'll do all of that. What is to do this? Anybody have an idea? Yes. Tell people about God. Turn back to Him. What else? Well, let's go to Isaiah 58. I'm going to like assume that these verses aren't supposed to be in the order they're in, <laughs> so I'm going to be all over the chapter. Um, to get some context, by the way, God's talking to the nation of Israel. Some think it's while they're in captivity in Babylonia. Some think that it's right after that. Um, but starting in verse 2, listen to this, and, and, and this sounds pretty impressive. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Sounds like a nation that understands what it means to follow God, right? Again, I'm going to quote from the message back and forth, and I hope you're okay with that. But here's what the message says. They're busy, busy, busy at worship, and they love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do, and love having me on their side? So you read that in verses uh, 2, you read verse 2, and you think, wow, this is a nation that ought to have God say, you keep living that way, and then I'll do all these things that I just described and read earlier. But notice their frustration. Look at verse 3. Here's what they're saying to God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Isn't that interesting? They're described as a, um, as a people that are doing all these great things. And yet the result is, they say, God, we're, we're doing all the right things, but we can't seem to get your attention. You don't seem to notice us. Well, if we keep going, you'll, you'll see God's response. God says, yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, I'm in verse 4, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? It is, is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Now you're like, oh, hold on a second. That's not what verse 2 described. Well, go back to verse 1. 
Verse 1 says, he's talking to the prophet here, shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. Now, I thought about starting my sermon this way, turning my microphone off. The idea behind this is to scream as loud as you can, just like you were yelling at Chris Collinsworth at the Super Bowl. <laughs> that's, that's how loud he wants you to yell. Shout it as loud as you can. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Whoa, back up. God is saying to the prophet, I want you to shout out loud as you can. Declare to them their sin. And then the next verse in verse 2 is saying, yeah. Here's what God's saying, yes. Oh, you're doing all the what? Yeah, it's great. Like you look like, so now let me read it again, and let me read it with a different perspective, okay? Now... He says, for day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come to them. A little different motivation, isn't it? All of a sudden, God's like, I watched all the what's. I watched all the things that you do. I've heard them, and I'm not happy. And you, you have it down you follow all the things that you're supposed to do, but you're a mess. The way you treat each other, the way you treat your employees, the way you treat all of society around you, God says, I've watched that and I'm upset. They had the external things done well, but it didn't make a difference in how they acted. Here's what God is really saying to them. Your relationship to me has had no impact on your relationship to others. The vertical cannot be there if the horizontal isn't as well. Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans, has a uh, 10-minute video clip on this, um, and I love some of the things that he says. Here's what he says. He says, whenever you go up to bring heaven down, God wants to know that you took heaven out. It is not about flowing to you, but flowing through you. You should be the conduit to the blessing you are requesting. You should be the helper, not just the helped. I'll say that again. He says, whenever you go up to heaven to bring heaven down, God wants to know that you took heaven out. It's not about flowing to you, but flowing through you. You should be the conduit to the blessing you are requesting. You should be the helper, not just the helped. So here's another one of those little tidbit quotes. When you wonder why you do what you do, then your what is not leading to the right why. I think a lot of words. My wife's like, that's a lot of words. When you, when you wonder, whew, a lot of W's too. When you wonder why you do what you do, like the nation of Israel, God, we're doing all this, but we're not even sure why because it's not getting your attention. In your Christian life, when you wonder why you do what you do, then your what is not leading to the right why nation of Israel wondered why God hadn't taken notice of them, why God hadn't blessed them for their great fasting. So what did they do wrong? They had the right things. They were fasting, and later in the chapter, they were, they were following the Sabbath, and, and they were doing all the, you know the, you know the nation of Israel, they had all these rules and all these things that they were doing. They were, they were reading the Bible, they were praying, right? They were giving of their tithes and their offering. They were coming to church, all the things that, that we do today, they were doing those, but yet God was not pleased. So what was missing? 
If you want to stay in Isaiah 51, put a paper in there, um, jump to Isaiah 50, uh, Psalm 51. In Psalm 51 and verses 16 and 17, we get a glimpse of what was missing. Psalm 51, 16 and 17, here's what it says. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, O God, will not despise. Hmm. Does that mean that God didn't care in the Old Testament about burnt offerings and sacrifices? No. He's the one who told him to do it. But if you bring burnt offerings and sacrifices and you don't have a broken and contrite spirit, then God doesn't care. If we come to church and we pray, read our Bible, and, you know, we, we give and we do all these, the what's that we think we need to do as Christians, but our heart isn't broken, and we don't have a heart that beats after God, and we don't have a broken and contrite heart of humility before God, then he doesn't care. He uses a stronger language in Amos. If you want to look at Amos chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. Amos 5, 21 to 23. Here's what he says to the nation of Israel then. Ready? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. Wow. Basically, God says, my hands are over my ears. And I'm not listening. You know, we're saying, you ever done, I can't hear you. You know what I mean? Just, uh, the old Princess Bride. You know? <laughs> I can't hear you. Sorry, it just came to me. I thought it was a different movie until I said it out loud. Like, oh, shoot. Um, <clears throat> but, but that's what God's saying. Like, I won't listen. Like, I don't care. You can bring the best of the best before me. And if you read the rest of that chapter before and after, what, what he's frustrated about, we're not going to. It's the same thing in Isaiah 58. Over and over again, God has said to the nation of Israel, listen, like, these are the what's that you need to do. These are the things that I want you to, to, to be a part of doing. They're going to help you, but they're not the end game. They're not the why. The why is a relationship with me that, is, that changes your relationship with others. See, the nation of Israel were fasting and praying and doing these things for God, but then turning around and treating each other horribly. And that's what God was upset about. For them, they thought that all they needed to do was have these great acts of worship. And then if they did, they could bargain with God. And we're not far from that, as I said a few minutes ago. We bargain with God all the time. Maybe we do it verbally. Maybe we do it subconsciously. We almost think that because we do these things, um, that God owes us one, right? And then we get into the doctrine of unfairness. Like, well, why would you do that, God? I mean, I've been, we, get, we get what the New Testament calls the, the, uh, the order of prodigal son syndrome, right? I've done all these things for you, God, and look what you've done for me. And it's almost as if God is saying, I, I, I never saw any of that. Like, I never, I never saw you do that, because when you do it for the wrong motive, then you're not getting my attention. And so let's go back to Isaiah 58 and see what God says he wanted them to do. God says, do this, and so what does he want them to do? Verse 6, if you want to go back to Isaiah 58... I'm going to skip a couple verses in there because I'm going to put all the things he wants them to do together. 
Is it not this kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? If you do away with, then he says, if the yoke of oppression with pointing fingers and malicious talk and spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, and then he goes on. Those are all the things that God is saying, oh, you, you want to do something that's going to get my attention? And I don't have a slide here, but let me just list to you all the things that he says. Break the chains of injustice. Get rid of exploitation in the workplace. Free the oppressed. Cancel debts. Share your food with the hungry. Invite the homeless poor into your homes. Putting clothes on those who need it. Being able to, um, being available to your own families. Get rid of unfair practices. Quit blaming victims. Quit gossiping about other people's sins. Generous with the hungry. Start giving yourselves to the down and out. God says, this is what is going to get my attention. Because that shows me you understand what it means to have a relationship with me. Because then your heart beats after God's. Then you start to see the world as God sees them. You start to see people as God sees them. And so I want to, I'm going to go through the list one more time, and I want you to, to do some uh, thinking about it. So how are you, or how is our church? You can wear two hats, me an individual and church as a, as a, as a congregation. How are we breaking the chains of injustice in our lives, in our communities? You don't have to answer. Just, there's hidden rules right now. Just don't answer. That's from Sunday school. How are we making sure there's no exploitation in the workplace? If you're an employer, are you addressing exploitation in your workplace? Are we freeing the oppressed? Are we canceling debts? Not just, oh, you borrowed money, and now you don't, have, you don't have to pay me. Don't worry about it. Not that. It could be that. Could be circumstances from that. But have you ever held something against somebody because they owed you something? That's the same thing. When's the last time we shared food with the hungry? You invited a homeless person in your home. You've given clothes to those who need it. You're available to your own families, physically and emotionally, spiritually. Get rid of unfair practices in your community, in our church, in your workplace. Quit blaming victims as if it's always their fault. Quit gossiping about other people's sins. Are generous with people that are hungry. And are giving of yourself to the down and out. The good news is that our church wants to be in the town square. We, call, we say that all the time. We want to be in a virtual town square. We want to be in the center of our community making a difference. The good news is also that our church has a very good reputation in the community. When people think of Grace Point, they think, oh, that church, that their language gets it. They care. There's no strings attached. They just, they're the hands and feet of Jesus because that's what they want to do, not expect anything in return. The good news is we also have an organization called the Factory Ministries, I'm a little biased, um, that exists in our community to help accomplish these things. So it's not like we can say, well, I'd love to. I, I just, don't, just don't have any way to do it. And there are other organizations throughout our county, throughout our community, throughout our nation, throughout our world that are doing these things. So the good news is we're part of a family of believers that says this is the heartbeat of what we want to be about. And we're in a community where there's opportunities to do that. 
This is what God wanted the nation of Israel to do. The vertical relationship with God must impact the horizontal relationship with one another. And God says, I'm going to read it again. And God says, if you do all these things, then here's what I'll do for you. The lights will turn on. Your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way in the glory. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then you will pray and God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am. Your lives will begin to glow in the midst of darkness. Your shadow lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go and give you a a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. In fact, you'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Boy, there's so much there. Um, Just had another sermon come on. Uh, Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild, renovate, make the community livable again. That's what God says he will do to a nation, to a church, to a congregation, to people that do those things that he just mentioned. Because here's the thing. It isn't just fire insurance, right? God, God didn't create a plan that says, hey, five minutes before you leave this earth, we're going to have a conversation. I'll give you a choice, yes or no. Quickly, you've got five minutes, make a decision. That's not how he does it. That might be how it is for some people, but God wants us to come to know him while we're here on this earth. So it's more than just eternal security, but it's, it's allowing us to have the God of the universe navigate with us on our journey. He has to benefit us, but also to benefit those around us. And so as, if we are going to be a church, if we're going to be individuals who are growing in our relationship with God, and we're doing all the what's to help us get there, it's because we want to be able to take that and give it to others. That's all through the Old Testament. That's what God says to the nation of Israel, why he's frustrated with them. And by the way, we don't have time, but all through the New Testament, God has that same component. It's not just believe, but live your life and make a difference to those around you. So how do we do that? Here's a simple question as we close. How has your vertical relationship with God impacted your horizontal relationship with others? How has your relation with God impacted your relation with people? It, it, you, you can't have one without the other. Well, you can, but it just doesn't go well. Do you see people as God sees them? Do you care for people as God cares for them? Do you provide for people as God provides for them? In other words, when you see people, do you see them through the filter of God and does your heart break when you see injustice? When you see people that don't have the opportunity to have what you have or the, or the resources you've had to be able to navigate through life and does the response be, Lord, you've broken my heart, I must do something about it. Now, I want you to know, let me pause here, that in, in preaching this sermon, 
I don't think God, I'm not a prophet, first of all, but I don't think God is saying to me, hey, go to Grace Point, shout it out as loud. That's why I didn't start that way. Shout loud voice and tell them that they're missing the mark. I don't think it's the message here. I think because I think that, that great things are happening in our congregation and the lives of, of each one of, the, of, of you as believers in your community. Like, God is doing incredible stuff, and we can see that when we look all around. So be encouraged, but understand that it's so easy to fall back to the what. And the why is because we want to have the same view of people that God has. That's why he brings us in a relationship with him way before some of us leave this earth. Because it doesn't just benefit us, but it gives us an opportunity to walk alongside people and be the hands and feet of Christ. We talked about in Sunday school this morning, such an abstract thought that the God of the universe wants to save us from our sins and help us do life and then give us eternal life. And we talked about how do we make it concrete? Well, there's 200 ways right here to make it concrete. Every one of us seeing people as God sees them, caring for people as God cares for them, providing people as God provides for them. I want to give you an example as, as we finish. So we've started something, our third, it's our third time yesterday, called Fresh Express. It's a partnership with the Central PA Food Bank where they bring in an 18, a tractor trailer, <laughs> drew a blank there, uh, a tractor trailer and food, and we put it out in the gym and we, we give you know, people in the community some food. Um, and some of you, by the way, some of you were there helping out, and, and thank you for that. And, uh, but there was a lady there, and if you track with the factory, and if you're at a spring banquet, you know her as a Joanna Wan, and she spoke at our spring banquet. And she was there yesterday as well. And she was, if you were just sitting in a rating room watching this lady, you're like, well, why is she getting so much food? She keeps going out of here with cart after cart after cart, until you realize that she wasn't there to get food for herself. She was there volunteering and helping. Because, because now, let me, let me say this for a minute without you, you know, throwing stones at me. To her, her view of God, we are that vertical relationship. And so her life has been so changed by the factory. I'm just going to say factory. It could have been some of you that's changed her life. It could have been other people. But she's been so changed by the factory that she says, I want to come and volunteer. Because when I'm changed this way, it has to result on something else. In fact, she's also started something. Um, she's collecting donations. If you go on her Facebook page, Joanna Wan, she's collecting donations for our food pantry for things that we can't get. And on her Facebook a couple days ago, here's what it says. Hi, my name is Joanne. I'm collecting donations for the factory ministries. If anyone would like to make a monthly donation, Shira Kaufman from the factory can help you set that up automatically. Otherwise, I'm collecting Dollar Tree store gift cards or cleaning supplies, hairbrushes, dish detergent, hair ties, toothpaste, shampoo, car stuff that all can be gotten at the Dollar Tree. Thank you for your support, Joanne and Shira. She put Shira's name out there. It was kind of funny. Um, and I read that, and I'm like, that is a concrete example of what the Christian life is all about. You know, when our life is so changed by God, we can't help but go out there and impact one another. And, you know, we say, look in your bulletin, everyone's story matters. And that's what we are trying to do. We are thinking about creative ways as a church that we can be the hands and feet of Christ to show up at the virtual town square and let them know about an incredible God that loves them so deeply, but let them know that by not just telling them that, but showing them by how we care about them. 
And uh, in Isaiah 58, it's just one little excerpt in the nation of Israel's life. And we know, as we study their history, that they never quite got it for very long periods of time. And let's hope and pray that 100, 200, 500 years from now, that the story of this church isn't written that says, man, they, they almost got it, but they didn't. Um, but yet, let's hope it's that, you know what? Grace Point Church, the believers that make up that church, are people who were so touched in a relationship with God that it impacted their community and their neighborhoods and their workplaces and a relation with people. They saw people as God saw them. And then from there, the sky's the limit. For Joanne, it's starting a new program. Um, and hey, we can work with that. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what all that list of stuff in Isaiah 58 that God says, this is what you need to do. I don't, I don't know what it is for you. But here's what I'll tell you. Every single one of you in this room has enough resources to do one of those things or to do, be a part of one of those things. Now, it might be that you can't show up at Fresh Express and help yesterday. Maybe you can give financially. Maybe you can pray. Maybe you're like, hey, listen, all I can do is bow my head and close my eyes. And that's not all you can do. That's incredible. But I want to challenge you, every single person in this room, children all the way up, all the way up through adults, we can all do something that shows that we don't just have the what down in our relation with God, but we understand the real why. If you're ever asking, I'm going to try to remember this without going back up there. If you're ever asking, what am I doing? Uh-oh, I messed it up. Hang on, quick. I wrote it down. Here we go. Actually, I have a different one now that I looked at the notes. If the why of our faith doesn't shape the what of our lives, then why have faith? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you that I get to be part of a family of believers that care so deeply for one another and that cares so deeply for our community. But God, it'd be so easy for us just to be content with that and say, oh, great, Tim is going to go to the TCC for pastoral hours. Boy, I'm glad he's doing it. Oh, somebody came and helped the Fresh Express. I'm glad. Boy, that was good for them. Oh, somebody else. But, but God, I pray we would be a congregation that is that can't help but be moved to action in our community, in our nation, all around the globe, because we understand that as we enter a relationship with you, that it, it compels us to view the world as you do and to want to, to do the things that you would want to do in this world, in our community. God, I pray that every one of us would think this week, what is something, one thing that I can do to demonstrate my faith in God? In Jesus' name, amen.